Thank you for joining our podcast here at Peninsula Covenant Church. Stay tuned as together we'll study God's Word. It happens, you know, my phone just takes the best of me and, oh, wait a second, sorry, that's my daughter. Hang on a second. Hey, Hannah, Hannah, I can't talk right now. Yeah, I'm in the middle of a service, man. I'll call you, I'll call you a little later. You okay? Okay, love you. Sorry about that. We're in this series called Christmas Presents. And we're talking about recapturing the awe that is Jesus come to earth. Recapturing the awe of what we just read in John 3.17. That humans ran away from God and God did the unthinkable. He ran after us. Not to condemn us, did you read that? But to save us. And we're talking about to do that, we're quoting a famous theologian, her name's Elsa from the movie Frozen. Um, We have to let it go. Every week we have to let go. Christians, we need to let go. Last week, let go of stuff. This week we're talking about actually letting go of distractions because it's a fight to focus. Have you noticed that? We have to fight for focus. In fact, the average human span, we are so distracted by things. The average human attention span over the last 15 years has shrunk by 25%. We are so evolved as humans, we now trail the goldfish, no lie, and the ability to stay focused on one thing for a span of time. How many of you find that it's hard to focus? Come on, we're safe, right? How many of you actually have a hard time focusing on my messages? Okay, that was a dummy test. You're in my men's group, man. Come on, Ron. Actually, if it's any consolation, it's hard for me to focus too. I see you, I see what you're doing. I see you fumbling around, falling asleep sometimes, things like this. It's distracting, right? Let's talk about letting go of distractions that are destroying us. They're doing more damage than you realize. Uh, As a matter of fact, uh, if you want to see the root word for distraction, I just did an etymology. Here's what it means. It came to us in the 16th century. comes from a Latin word. It means this. Think about what's happening to followers of Christ. Here's my premise. Christmas is a time when our culture, this is Christ and the gospel, the good news, orbits into the good news annually more than any other time. And of course, the enemy, if we're going to orbit close to the good news, is going to flood the followers of Christ with anything but the good news. Here's what distraction means. A pulling apart, a separating, the drawing of the mind in different directions. See, men and women, God has an amazing plan for your life. Our spiritual enemy, Satan, has schemes for your life to trip you up, to, to swerve you from that amazing plan. And, and you'll hear this multiple times, but uh, the enemy doesn't need to destroy you if he can distract you. It happens all the time, all the time. Even, look at this, I just Googled Christmas magazines. This is what we're under at Christmas magazine. This is this Good Homes Ultimate Christmas. Look at this, 975 festive ideas for Christmas. What? <laughs> Six inspiring color schemes, 10 gorgeous table settings, 75 gifts to buy. 
the pulling apart, the drawing in different directions. Open your Bibles to Luke chapter 10. What we're doing every week is looking at an Emmanuelism, we're calling it, experience. Emmanuel means God with us. We sung about that. We're looking at different stories in Jesus' life where God invaded humanity. God invaded humans. Last week, it was the rich young ruler. This week, it's a pretty famous story, Mary and Martha. And let's look at how the encouragement that Jesus shows to both Mary and Martha on how to stay focused on what matters most, okay? John chapter, I'm sorry, Luke chapter 10, verse 38. Are you ready? Everyone there? Here we go. As Jesus, it'll be on the screen as well. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way home, he came to a village where a woman named Martha, in Hebrew, the name is Martha Stewart, just kidding. Named Martha opened her home to him. He had a sister named Mary. Now we know the characters, right? Jesus, Martha, Mary. And usually Martha gets a bad rap. I don't want to do that here. It's actually in another gospel. It was Martha that went and found Jesus, that welcomed him. Jesus wouldn't have come to the home or found the home, supposedly, if it wasn't for the Martha. They wouldn't have eaten if it wasn't for the Martha. So I'm not here to bag on Martha. I don't think it's binary like that, okay? I'll just play my cards. But look at this. Mary sat at where? Lord's feet. Whenever this woman's mentioned, and it's the only person in the scriptures who's mentioned in this position, she's always mentioned, God bless you, bro, at the Lord's feet. Always mentioned at the Lord's feet. I don't want you to miss that. It's a great ambition for us. And this is way more than just a casual, oh, can I sit in on this teaching? This is the posture of a rabbi disciple. I don't want you to miss this. I'm going to take an excursus for this because it's that important about a baseline premise that we hold here at PCC. In that day, there were no universities. There were rabbis. And if you wanted to grow in uh, understanding, in your intellect, in your faith, you, in a sense, applied, you followed, you tracked down a rabbi. And if he would let you do so, they would let you sit at their feet to teach you, to pour into you. Many people wanted to have that place for Jesus. We know in the Gospels, many people were turned away. God in his sovereignty just said, no, I can't, be, I can't be all things to all people. No. But Mary was allowed there. This is countercultural. Um, contrast this with the Jewish temple of the day, just miles from this house. Literally, in Judaism, the religious system put up a wall that said to women, you only come this far, and only men go farther from here forward into the intimacy and presence of God. And so here's Jesus being countercultural. Here's Mary, if I can say it, being the original Rosa Parks, being in a place where culture said you don't belong. And Jesus advocating for her to be there. It's just beautiful. And what is she doing? Look at this. Circle this word. How often do we do this? Listening. That's what she's doing. How many times have I come into the presence of God, sat at his feet, if you will, and said, here's my list. How many of us define prayer that way? I need this, I need this, I need this. Oh, thank you for that. God bless you. Gone. Do we ever think Jesus wants to talk back? That Jesus actually wants a relationship? That's what she's doing. She's listening. But Martha was, let's say it together, Martha was what? Distracted, pulled apart by all the preparations that had to be made. And I don't blame her. Jesus comes to my house, I might be distracted too. 
You should have seen me at 7.45. We finished prayer. We came up here. Uh, we, we had this amazing, Brian participated. Ian did too in this uh, sad um, memorial yesterday for a teenager who had died. And the sanctuary had the debris all in the back. And I'm going, oh my gosh, where's a, where's, where's a vacuum? Where's this? And I'm up there vacuuming, doing all this stuff. I was distracted just by you coming to PCC. Let's not bag on Martha. She's checking off her list. Casserole, check. Candles lit, check. Dessert, check. Toilet cleaned, check. She just wants to be a good host. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sisters left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Is she really bossing the Lord around? What is she doing? We do it too. She's displacing her aggravation towards her sister, now putting it on the Lord. This is what happens when the Lord doesn't have centrality in your life. You begin telling the Lord how to act in your life as opposed to letting him be the Lord. Martha gets a bad rap, but let's again thank God for her. Because of the Marthas, we eat. Bills are paid. Christmas presents get wraps, gets wrapped. Now let's watch now how the Lord loves Martha. Look at this, verse 41. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered. You're worried and upset about so many things, but few things are needed. Indeed, only, look everybody, one. He didn't say few things are important. The, the, the original language is few things are vital. Actually, only one thing is vital right here, right now. And my premise is this, what was vital for Martha is vital for us. But as followers of Christ, the cultural current, and we love culture. We are not Christ against culture. We believe Jesus wants to invade and transform culture. And looking out and seeing you, knowing what you do Monday through Friday, that's exactly what you're doing. Couldn't be more thrilled. But through the cultural current, what's going on is we believe, no, not one thing isn't necessary. Actually, there's multiple things that are needed. And Jesus, you're just one of the many. Well, we'd never be that crass to say that, but do a time audit. Do a prayer audit. One thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better. I circled in my Bible, Mary has chosen, because what it tells me is this. Salvation, at the end of this time, we're going to give an opportunity for those of you who don't know Christ to have a relationship and receive the best gift ever, completely free. You don't have to do a thing for Jesus to invade your life. But growing in Christ is a choice. It's a choice. Mary and Martha had choices. They both had to exert effort. And at the end of the day, one was full, one was angry and with angst. You're going to exert effort in the next two and a half weeks. Why not have that effort result in being in awe of Christ come to earth? Amen. Thank you. I was going to say amen to myself. Look what it says. Mary's chosen what's better, and it won't be taken away from her. Many things are happening. Few are needed. One is best. What's interesting to me is that Martha was doing something good, but she wasn't prioritizing what is best. So often, the choices that you're going to have to make, your competent people, your moral people, uh, what I know of you, um, you, you are, are amazing people. It's not going to be, be between good and bad. What I'm pleading for as a shepherd is that you would choose between good and best. 
good and best. Martha chose good. Mary chose best. Here's my question before we dive in. What are the good things that are distracting you that are taken away from the best? It's not immoral. It's not evil. It's good. But it's eroding the best. The enemy doesn't need to destroy you if he can distract you. So how do we focus on the best? Page two, let's dive in a little bit. How do we do this? Here's the first. First uh, thing I take from this story. One, diminish, and by diminish I mean distance yourself. Treat it like it's lethal. Uh, Treat it like it's kryptonite. Run away from it. Put it away from you. Make that choice. Diminish your distractions. Jesus said, few things are needed. In another place in the New Testament, this guy named Paul, an apostle, said it this way. Different context, but same principle. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 35. He says, I'm saying this for your benefit, not to place restrictions on you. In other words, Paul's going, I don't want to be legalistic. I don't want to give you rules, okay? That's my heart too. I want us to live in grace, okay? Everyone say grace. Okay, I want you to live in grace. Paul says this, I want you to do whatever will help you serve the Lord, what? Best. How many of you want to settle for mediocrity in your Christian life? Okay, so we're all on the same page, right? That's what Paul wants. That's what I want. That's what Ian, Brian, any of our shepherds want. We want you to be at your best in following Christ. With as few, what? Distractions as possible. Oh, my friends, uh, we've got to stiff arm and diminish and distance ourselves from distractions. What do you think is one of the most common distractions? It might not be a bad thing. Actually, it's a fantastic thing. But it diminishes and pulls us apart from our mind space with Jesus. What would you say some of those are? This is where we talk back. Phone, TV, screen, cultural parties, things like that. Let's talk about the phone. Let's talk about the, the trinity, the father, son, and the smartphone. <laughs> this little device, I've seen it do amazing things, okay? I literally have been around the world in a village with no running water and no electricity, and the gospel's infiltrating the village through this device. It's unbelievable. And some of you have come, made great strides in this area. But it boggles my mind how humans for thousands and thousands of years have lived without this thing and interacted pretty well without this thing. But this has been on the scene for 20 years now, and we can't spend 10 minutes away from it. 10 minutes is the average time, depending on your age and, and your, um, your generation, that you you're more than average probably, you're better than average, but the average person, average American spends checking their cell phone. If you're a millennial, it's, it's one every eight minutes. You can't go eight minutes without checking this thing. Americans check it 80 to 150 times a day. Could it be, my friends, that our relationships that matter most, our relationships with our kids, our relationships with our neighbors, our relationships with our spouse, our relationship with God is not running optimally because we're checking this thing every eight to 10 minutes. 
they have this new app that came out called Screen Time. What a convicting thing. And since we're talking about conviction, can we just spend a few more minutes together talking about social media? The average person spends more than, you ready? Two hours a day on social. Now, I know you're probably better than that, but let's just take my daughter, Bella, who's 18. If she's average, by the time she dies, I just did some math here, her average lifespan for an 18-year-old today, if she dies two hours a day, she will have spent, you ready? Seven years of her life on social media. Could there be a better use of seven years of your life? Seven years, not bad, but perhaps not the best use of our time. I believe our lives are too valuable, our callings are too great, our God is too good to be distracted by good things. Maybe it's not tech, maybe it's a sport, maybe it's a hobby, maybe it's online gaming, maybe it's fitness, maybe it's a person who's distracting you, taking you away from what's best. Look at this verse, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 33. Don't be deceived. Bad company corrupts what? Yeah, I tell our kids all the time, you can't live the right life if you have the wrong friends. And I'm not saying we don't love certain people. We love everybody, but your closest core friends, are they spurring you on to Christ or are they competing in your relationship with Christ? Some of you, I'm just gonna be blunt, and I, I don't know, I, the Holy Spirit just puts on me, some of you are dating a distraction. They're not spurring you on to love Jesus more. And my encouragement to you is press delete on that boyfriend or on that girlfriend. It's not worth it. The enemy doesn't need to destroy you if he can distract you. Okay, so the first thing, diminish the distractions. It's really quiet in here, so let's move on from this, okay? <laughs> Have a resolve not to let anything compete for your relationship with Christ. Anything, okay? Secondly, focus on the important. Jesus said, indeed, only one. Focus on the important. Look what Proverbs 4.25 says. Set your gaze on the path before you with, look at this, fixed purpose. This is a life lesson right here. Looking straight ahead, look what it says. Ignore life's what? distractions with fixed purpose. It's a fight to focus. I learned this from my oldest daughter, Hannah. She went through a stage in college where she was slack lining. Do you know what slack lining is? Uh, how many of you have heard of a tightrope, right? A slack line is just the opposite. I have one here. It is uh, like a two inch uh, rope that you tie to the ends of the tree. Here, I'll, I'll tie it to the Steinway. Right. No, I won't. You tie it to the end of the tree and then you get on it and there's, there's give. And Hannah was really into this with her friends and what they were doing on a slack line, I mean, look at a YouTube. I mean, they're doing amazing things and Hannah was just three feet off the air, but she was able to jump. She was able to one foot. She was able to turn around all this stuff. Well, we were uh, down at campus by the CF summer camp and she and her friends were doing this uh, on, in Avalon uh, on, on Catalina Island. And I'm like, hey, I want to do this. They had it between two trees and it got really quiet. I'm like, go ahead, dad. And so I, I was a tree hugger. And then I 
got on the line and I'm like, whoa, but I'm hugging the tree and then I put one foot out and then I went for it. I'm like, I could do this, I could do anything, you know, and put the other foot, and the minute I put the other foot, I looked down, and I don't know what happened at that point, like the line went that way, I went that way, and 500 miles an hour, boom, hit the ground. Now it was only a foot above the ground, but it was brutal to my pride. And my daughter said, you do what everyone does first time. You look down. Dad, the key to slacklining is look at the tree at the end of the line. It's the only way you're going to get through it. Do you want to do it again? I'm like, no, I'm done. I I had my chance. But I thought, what a great principle for life. That's what the Proverbs is saying here. The only way to get through, the only way to get through the next two and a half weeks, if you want to recover and maintain the awe of Jesus coming to earth for you, is to focus on him. And when circumstances come and parties inundate you and year-end and all this stuff and high-calorie diets and a major home renovation called a Christmas tree that you put in and all the Christmas stockings and all that stuff, keep Jesus at the center. Jesus said that, Matthew 6, 33. He said, seek, by the word, the, the word seek there, by the way, means effort required. Can I just say this as your pastor? Um, you're not gonna drift into Christ-likeness. You're not. You're not going to wake up one day and go, wow, I'm a godly woman. I just happened to show up here. You have to leverage the grace of God and meet it with effort. And that's what Jesus is saying. Seek first. Seek what? Come on, church. I know we don't like this. Seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all those other things will be added to you. All those other texts, all those other parties, all the gift lists, all the food, all the shopping, you put Christ first, all those other things that really matter will take care of themselves. What would it look like to live Christ first for the next three weeks? I wish we could stop time and you could wrestle with that question. What would it look like to live Christ first for the next three weeks? Where the first thing of your day, the first thing of your day is not Instagram or email or CNN or the Wall Street Journal or whatever. The first thing of your day is a breath of surrender. We have a daily surrender prayer at the back page of this. And then you get to the word. And the first thing of your day is an Advent devotional or time in the word. And then you go on with your day. Then you hit all that other stuff. And the first day of your week, you're doing what we're doing here, gathering to worship Jesus and reorienting our week with the people of God. And then when any time God blesses us with income, like, like we saw with Matt and Susan, first thing you do is give it away, a portion of it. Say, God, this came from you. I'm not going to give you leftovers. You get the first fruits. That's what we're talking about here. That's what Jesus was talking about here. What changes need to be made to keep Christ first? Diminish your distractions. Focus on what's important. I just know, and and I could turn this over to my wife, she would tell you she married an extremely broken man who's in the process of being repaired by Jesus. And I'm at my best when Christ is first, even first in my love for her. I'm a better dad. I'm a better neighbor. 
I'm a better citizen of this great city that we love. I'm a better pastor when Christ is first. And I have to fight for that. Then lastly, listen to the voice of God. Listen to the voice of God. What was Mary doing sitting at Jesus' feet? Look at verse 39. Circle that word. She was listening. She was listening. Can you imagine how cool it was for her to hear the voice of Jesus? We actually have that opportunity. In John chapter 16, verse 7, Jesus was leaving his disciples and he said to them, in fact, it's best for you that I'm going away. In other words, we have it better than the followers of Jesus when Jesus was alive. That's what he said. Because if I don't go, the advocate, that means the come alongside her, he won't come. And if I do go, I will send him to you and he will be in you. We have something way better than Jesus beside us. We, if we're following Christ, have Jesus in us. So we can hear his voice. When you seek God first, I promise you, I promise you this week, this week, he will speak to you. Oh my gosh, he'll speak to you through his word. When you open the word, if you don't even know where to start, come see one of us or through you version. There's Advent devotionals. Happens to me every morning. I've told you this before. I wake up an atheist pretty much in the morning. I am grumpy. I'm, I'm, it's terrible. And I, I hit my Pandora and Hillsong United, this great worship band, they did just get me up and pull me out of bed and I'm sludging. I'm like, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. And then can I pull my shots of espresso and, and espresso and the Holy Spirit are really good things. And I, I, amen, bro, come on. Okay, I give him, he has a quad espresso, crazy. Um, and then I sit before the word and just say, God, I'm here. Help my emotions catch up, speak to me. I thank you so much. And you know what happens? It's like Jesus, I'm not kidding you. It's like Jesus just sits down at the table and says, I'm so glad you're here. You have no idea what I've got planned for your day. Let me feed you right now. That can happen to you. It's not because I'm a pastor. It's because I'm a knucklehead and I need Jesus. And I make the space for him to speak. He'll speak to you through the voice of his spirit. He'll speak to you through people. He could speak to you through a song. Maybe one of these songs spoke to you. Through circumstances. If you make space to listen to God's voice, he will speak. Never contrary to his word. Never contrary to his word. So that's why I have a practice in the morning starting in the word. Jesus said, Martha, Martha, you're worried and upset about so many things, but few things are needed. Mateo, Mateo, you're worried and upset about so many things. Jesus says, few things are needed. Anne, Anne, you're worried and upset about so many things. But few things are needed. Jeff, Jeff, you're worried and upset about so many things, but few things are needed. Can Jesus be trusted? I want to go to prayer and I'm going to invite you to close your head, bow your head, don't close your head, bow your head and close your eyes because I want you to block out distractions and I want to take the rest of my sermon time to shepherd us in prayer. Every head bowed, every eye closed, please. In the silence of you and God, as you reflect, do you identify? I'm a little bit distracted. 
could you say, God, I know what's important. You're convicting my heart. Help me to distance the distractions. Help me to fight for what matters. God, help me to hear your voice. I don't want to miss it. And your arms are wide open for me to turn back to you and put the priorities the way they should be. For the next two and a half weeks, let me live Christ first and then beyond, let it continue. If you want God to help you focus on what matters most, would you lift your hand? It could be an act of worship. It could be a declaration of war, frankly. But lift your hand and say, I want to live Christ first. Put your hand down. Others, maybe you've been around church and you've considered Jesus. Someone invited you here. But to be honest, you're not really trusting Jesus. There's no real spiritual direction in your life. And while I've been speaking, something has been drawing you. Something's piqued your interest. Can I tell you what that is? That's the goodness and grace of God. It's the love of God we sung about. Listen, you'll never be drawn by anything I or Brian or Ian or anyone else up here says. What you're drawn by is the loving grace and mercy of God. Jesus told Martha, and today he's speaking to you, saying to you, you're missing the point. And that's why I have you here. Here's the point, everybody. Don't miss this. The point is this, and this is the good news of Christmas. We are more loved by God than we could ever imagine. And we are more broken by sin than we would ever dare admit. And that's why Jesus is good news. God saw our distracted life that's destructive to ourselves and others. And he came to earth. He ran after you and me with our only hope, the best gift ever, the gift of himself. And if you're like me, before I came to Christ, you tried a lot of things. You tried partying, material things, people, thrills, vacation, the luxury, and you've come up empty. Can I tell you why you keep coming up empty? Because you're trying to fill a spiritual void with material relational things. I'm just speaking truth here. There is nothing material or relational that will fill the spiritual void that's aching within you. Jesus is what you're looking for. He loves you. He'll forgive you. He came that you might have life and have it abundantly. I don't want you to be distracted from that great truth. If you would say yes, oh my gosh, yes, if that's true. I need Jesus. I need his life. I need his grace. I need his forgiveness. Today, I want to give my life to him and let him run my life. Lift your hand so I can pray for you. You're saying yes to Jesus today. Great. Just lift him up. Yes. Here's the deal. We're a family, PCC, and family prays together. So whether for the first time or if you're renewing when you did this the first time, let's pray this prayer together. This prayer doesn't change things. It's the attitude of our heart. But let's pray together. Pray after me. Heavenly Father, thanks for loving me. Thanks for forgiving me. Thanks for changing me and giving me grace after grace after grace. Make me new, Jesus. Be my savior. Fill me with your spirit so I can know you and follow you. My life is not my own. I give it to you. Thank you for new life. Now you have mine. Amen.
Hey, as you leave here, Brian will tell you more about this, but we have a new card in the pews that summarizes this great news, this gospel message. You can leave with that card that will tell you more about what we talked about, how to grow in new life in Christ. And then back at the table, I love it, at the welcome home table. There's a book there that talks about how to grow in that relationship with Christ. Brian will lead you in that, but I wanted to trigger that for you. God bless you, PCC. Let's keep the main thing. I need you to help me. Let's help each other keeping the main thing the main thing. Amen? Thank you for tuning in to our message podcast here at Peninsula Covenant Church. We would love the opportunity to connect with you more. We are located in Redwood City, California, and you can find us online at wearepcc.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter by simply searching for We Are PCC.